welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Catherine Druckmann. And Doc Searles and I are talking again to Kyle Rankin because we love talking to Kyle Rankin. <laughs> and we have we have a few things to plug, which we will get to related to Kyle and other things, frankly. But yeah, I also wanted to, to remind everybody Kyle. to yeah, exactly. <laughs> to uh, to check out our website at reality2cast.com where you can find all of our links and, and sign up for newsletters that someday we'll send out and all of those things. But uh, yeah, so today we're talking, we're going to talk a little bit about cryptography because we're security nerds here and we like to talk about that. And we're going to talk about content and authenticity and AI and, and a lot of really good stuff. But before we get into that, I wanted to plug something real quick. Um, if you like listening to us here, you might like l- listening to my new podcast that I do in my work life. It is called Open at Intel, and you can find it on any podcast player. And if you're interested in security, you might be into it. So please check that out. The other thing I wanted to plug, um, not to put Kyle on the spot, but Kyle just published a book that we uh, talked about in our last <laughs> podcast episode, and it's now available. I'll have a link to that in this episode as well. I included it in the previous, but in case you didn't see it, it's going to be there. It is called, remind me the exact title, Kyle? The exact title is The Best of Hack and Slash, Linux Admin Crash yeah, Course. Yeah, so definitely go buy one of those, please, uh, because it's good. <laughs> My copy's well, on the and, way. And listen to the... Well, and listen to the previous yeah. podcast if you haven't, because it goes into like the process behind it, not just the thought about the book, but what it means to to go through a process of publishing something yourself. Too. Yeah, so, I ordered the premium hardcover edition so that I can get Kyle to sign it next time I see him. So <laughs> it's going to go have a position of uh, honor on my bookshelf. So um, with that in mind, so I'll tell you how this this conversation started. Doc, as usual, reads a lot of cool stuff and sends us cool links. So <laughs> I will pass yeah, that and, link also. And I scan a lot more, and I'm, I'm guilty of reading too many things in a shallow way. This is one of the ones where I've read it, but there's a lot of stuff I don't know that's in it that you guys yeah. will know better. Like, And that's why we're, how we're yeah, going to talk through that's it. We're so talk that's why we invite yeah. Kyle, <laughs> because yeah. we trust him. We, we, we bring in our uh, mentat, know what he's talking like, about. like the, uh, yeah. yeah, like in Dune, he's our mentat. So... So the premise of this this link, which I hope you'll check out and is linked in the notes, um, is that AI, large language models, are going to create a lot of crap content, basically, <laughs> a lot of junk content. There's no way to really authenticate it, and, and it will fundamentally change probably the world, but for today's purposes, the internet and, and web content as we know it. And the proposal is that signing things, much like you do with software and other things, um, will fix it. And we have a lot of varying opinions. We're going to talk through that. But really quickly, I thought it would be a, a good place to start would be to kind of go over an overview over what, what is public key crypto- cryptography? When do we sign things? When do we not sign things? How, how do we use this right now today? Maybe even before talking, like just briefly before I talk about that, it's probably worth saying that, like, because we're talking about that specifically because this uh, public key cryptography and in particular hashing and signing things is being proposed as right. a way to authenticate um, and uh, the the provenance of someone something that you create on the internet, I guess, and so. It's probably so. Yeah, let's back up and talk a bit about why we use public key cryptography today and what what it, the point is. So, uh, in particular, when we're talking about signing, and it's 
it's essentially a digital form of what you do when you get a when back in the olden days when you get a check and you would actually put your signature your physical with a pin uh, signature on a check and the idea there was that you and only you um, have this unique way of signing your name um, or it's at least unique enough it's actually bio funnily enough it's biometric authentication but you're saying i i um sign in a unique way that it's really hard to duplicate and if you see a check with this signature that looks this way I had to have been the one that signed it. All right, so that's the idea behind signatures. Now, the digital form of that is you use public key cryptography. So I have um, a private key that only I have. I don't share with anyone else. And I have a public key that I can and do share with the whole world, and it's not a secret. My public key is not a secret. My private key is a secret. So uh, if I have some sort of content, say it's a block of code that I've written, say it's an email that I've sent, or something else, I can sign it with my private key and then uh, share the thing, whatever it is, along with a signature. And someone else can take that thing and that signature and use my public key to see whether or not someone with access to my private key did create the signature. Now, what is that? What So say you do all of those steps. Uh, what does that prove? Uh, it proves that one, I, someone with access to the private key, ideally the person that you think it's supposed to be, um, took whatever the document was or whatever the code block was or had access to it and put their seal of approval, put their signature on it saying, this is something that I have. And when I sent it to you along the way, it hasn't been modified. Um, so that's the important part. When you're signing something digitally, the, the critical piece that you're trying to prove is um, I'm vouching for the contents of this thing and it hasn't been changed, it hasn't been tampered with or modified in any way from when I sent it to when you received it. So an email, this is useful if you want to make sure that someone in between the um, handoff of email from your email server to someone in between, that no one's modified it. This is important in code signing because you want to have some way to say, okay, this particular developer made this particular change and they signed it to say that, yes, this is the change I made. Um, and that someone else along the way can't change that code uh, patch or whatever it was uh, without the signature breaking. So it's been unmodified from the point that it left the, the um, developer's computer um, to where it goes into a software repository. You can trace those things. Now, there are things it doesn't do. So for instance, you can take an email that I sent copy the contents out, and then um, remove my signature and sign the same exact email with your signature and send it to someone. It's sort of like taking, you can take a check and you can sign it with your name. Um, and what that proves is that you, uh, your signature, that you have approved whatever the message is or that this it was under your control in some way. So that's sort of, um, that's important to keep track of because it's not, you can't necessarily strictly use code signing and si or signatures for um, for copyright in a certain way. You know, like for example, we have signing something doesn't mean that someone else can't copy the same exact thing and then sign it themselves and say that they said it first. You know, that's that's why we have copyright laws. And you you create something and you say this particular piece of code is copyrighted under this license. Whatever it is, it's a free software license, an open source license, or something else, proprietary license. 
and it was copywritten on this date. And then if someone else, if you find that code somewhere else, um, whether you've like having a, a signature on that code doesn't necessarily prove anything other than that, that the person who owns that um, private key for the signature has blessed it in some way. They've said, I have access to this and I put my signature on it and it hasn't been changed. But it doesn't prove that they were the first person to write that piece of code, right? I mean, ultimately, you would have to trace back when, what, when was the code first uploaded to the internet if it was. Um, I mean, it could be a matter of the courts, for instance. Or if the code is similar but not identical, then the question is who was first to write the code? I mean, we even go back before the internet talking about who was the first to invent radio, um, or who was the first to invent certain things when you had things being invented at similar times across the world, you know, who did it first? So there, there are, I guess, two major applications that we're talking about are attribution for, you know, in terms of like copyright law, when you, you want royalties, let's say, right, conceptually, um, you want credit in some way. And then there are the other is security, right? So yeah. trust, oh, trust I, versus I attribution, right? I realized I didn't mention the most important application, which even this this article we're going to refer to uses as to talk about public key cryptography, which is um, uh, TLS mm, yeah. or, you know, like the signing that you see when you visit a website and there's a lock icon, essentially. Right. And that uses public key cryptography as well. In that case, what happens is you have uh, the website owner um, has a private key in the form of a certificate or like a private, they have a private key, not a certificate. They have a private key. And then there's a public key that takes the form of a certificate. And when you visit their website, their web browser, uh, their web server sends your web browser a certificate. And that certificate uh, is the public key counterpart to their private key. But it has been signed by a certificate authority. Um, that uh, And that signature is one that the browser trusts. So when you visit a website, you go to the website, you see that that lock and what that's saying is someone that the browser trusts, some certificate authority somewhere that's following certain regulations has given their stamp of approval on the contents of that public key. And they're saying this public key um, I, has not been modified to stay, say that it's owned by somebody else. And it's tied specifically inside that public key is the domain or domains that it's valid for. So what that's saying is, and ide the idea is that the certificate authority has gone through some level of vetting to prove that the owner of the domain um, is that they gave the certificate to the owner of the domain. So they've done some sort of vetting with Let's Encrypt. There's various ways they do it, and there's other ways that other CAs do it. And what that's saying is when I visit that website, I'm getting proof that I'm visiting the correct website, you know, dub, 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 dot, uh, KyleRank.in or whatever, uh, and not some imposter site that has a different domain. Uh, with so that's the whole point of that is it's it's authenticating it's it's proving that you're visiting the right website or that the website you're visiting the own that the, the domain um, is under the is under you're going to the right domain I guess is the right way to say it. So going back to the the idea of content then. I guess the question is, well, how do you see this applying potentially to content? Like, how would that even work? Let, let's say we assume it's a good good idea. How does this work? I mean, my understanding of the article is that it's um, it really 
read a lot like uh, what everyone Web 3.0 right. advocates are touting, which is if you want that the solution to the internet is to put it on a blockchain um, and sign everything. Right. But in addition, so ev basically every piece of content that you would share on the internet needs to be on a blockchain with some sort of provenance right. tied to you as an individual. So you can say, I, I published this social media post and it's cryptographically proven that it's me. Now, here's the, the, the thing is, we already have that. It's just not, it's not um, mathematically proven, I suppose. Like it doesn't have, it's not backed by who owns the private keys, but you could argue from a security standpoint, it's backed by something similar, I guess, which is if I post something on my social media, you know it's me because whoever posted it has to have access to my login credentials, mm. right? Um, and so you can, so you know that if I post something on my website, that it's from me because I own the domain. If I post something on my social media account, you know it's from me, um, and not from someone else pretending to be me because I have access to my login credentials. And uh, you know something's from me on a blockchain because it was signed with a private key that I'm supposed to only control. It's all the same. Uh, in each of those cases, an attacker could compromise my account, could control my website, or could steal my private blockchain keys um, and impersonate me. You know, So the threat is the same across all of those things. It's just the degree to which you think each of the protections of being an imposter are sound in each of those cases. Let me jump in here for a minute and say that uh, so we know clearly what we're talking about what got us going on this is uh, uh, an article written by Gordon Brander. Actually, it's uh, from his newsletter called Subconscious. And the headline is LLMs, that's large language models, break the Internet and signing everything fixes it. And signing is what what uh, what um, what uh, uh, Kyle is talking about. An interesting thing about this is that we've been talking about this in the identity community for a long time and um, talking about authentication, basically, in a sort of general sense. And uh, a cryptographic approach to it has been on the ascent for some time. His his basic thesis is that you we, we need to get rid of what's false on the internet and there's no way to know what's, what's real. And a question... Of, by me, and I, I don't know if you address this or not yet, Kyle. As I've been listening, I'm not sure it's there yet. Um, is is signing everything going to do it or not? I mean, it's like it's obviously it's something we need. It's something we're already using everywhere. Um, but is that what's actually needed? Is that just does that just completely obviate the problem, or is it is it one point solution that's going to help in some ways? So to to me. If the problem is that you could have some sort of AI that scrapes content and then publishes content that is uh, your content without your attribution, I don't know that that resolves it because anyone can take content and then sign it as themselves and say that they said it first. And you just simply have to have, you would have to have, I suppose, if every single thing on the internet had to be signed and date stamped, then you would just have the rule, sort of like with the patent office. Whoever whoever got the patent filed first wins, and if someone tries to file a patent after someone has got a patent accepted, then that one clearly the idea was later, even if regardless of whether the person actually thought of the idea mm -hmm. first, right? And so it would be similar here. Whoever posts first to the blockchain wins, 
uh, whatever the content is. And anyone else who didn't get there first um, would be, it would be suspicious. Like they, they scraped the content from the first person thing and then said it was theirs. So, so oh, go ahead, Catherine. Oh, I'm saying, but, but what I, I, you know, I, I see the argument for, you know, attesting to uh, originality or, or something like that or, or, or other applications, but I, I just don't see necessarily how signing anything necessarily verifies accuracy or real authenticity. Or I mean, humanity. It, drawing those parallels, I, I'm not sure. I, it seems to be a, a leap. I, I appreciate a lot of the arguments in this article, especially the, the castle moat analogy, right? The web is, is very much a centralized feudal system and, and each of us needs to bring back control over what we trust and, and how we trust and all of those things. And I appreciate that. But what I'm, I'm not getting is how we make the leap from signing to reality. Well, yeah, I mean, to, to me, what signing does there is it's what, here, let me talk about what this could protect against. All right. This could protect against, um, for example, if we signed the contents of this podcast, all right, and the entire contents start to finish were signed with signatures that show that we all bless this as saying these were our words, these were the things yes. that we said. Then if someone took AI with, you know, and spoofed and used these models to spoof our voices and have us say things that we didn't say, yeah, right, we can, and then, then publish yes, those. We could then say, yeah, we didn't sign that. We didn't sign off on that. Those were not our words. Here's our words, and we have vouched for these words only. So signing signing in that case is useful if you are concerned about someone twisting your words or, sure, or attributing sure, yeah. something to you that's not from you. Um, but only to a degree. That's only useful if you literally sign everything that you say, right? Because then there could be made an argument. Because what you're saying is, I didn't say that. And then someone has to say, well, prove it. And if it's not, if the thing that is, that they're saying that you said is signed by you, then you did right. say so it. So we can right? prove the, we can prove it came from me. We can prove it came from us. Um, we can't prove If there's something that's that unsigned correct. though, we can't prove that I, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the thing is if, if, if someone has a quote from me or a post from me that, or some statement that they said that I said, that is unsigned, I can't prove I didn't say it. How's that? I I can prove that I, because ah, yes, you could you always go. make the argument. Make, yeah. You can make the argument, Kyle said this, he just didn't sign it because it was secret yeah. or it was something that he didn't want to, he didn't want to get out there, whatever it is, right? There's all these different reasons, but the lack of a signature doesn't mean I didn't say it. Um, it just means that I didn't, I didn't uh, put my signature on mm -hmm. it. I didn't sign that statement. I didn't make it legitimate, but it could be an illegitimate statement. I said. I think. I think my issue is I'm making a few logical leaps here that aren't that don't necessarily that are not necessarily um, maybe they're not relevant. But where my mind goes with the initial problem, the initial statement of the problem, which is that large language models are creating a lot of you know potential problems, right? Problematic content is that where where I go with this is. It, a large language model is no different from a, a human and that it, it can create a lot of <laughs> humans can also create a lot of garbage content and also build trust. You know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know that it, 
I don't know that we solve the problem of, say, disinformation or any of that by by a testable content, I guess, is where I'm going with this. Well, and, and my point would be we already have mechanisms in place um, that we already use to do to accomplish this. Uh, the difference is that it's not always backed by strong cryptography. Um, but like I said, right now, if you want to, if you want proof that I said something on social media, then you look at my social media account and the assumption is as long as I have control over that account, the words that come from that account are from me or someone with access, right? right? And if someone has a, a sock puppet social media account <laughs> and they say, you know, it's, it's Kyle and they, they say things that I wouldn't say, then you can say, well, yeah, but that's not him. You can see it's not the official account. You know, and that's what signatures are doing. They're just backed by strong cryptography. Yeah. Uh, but it's the same. It's the same effect. It just depends on how, how, what strength you need uh, to back that assertion that it's me. So I, I, I want to be fair to the author here um, because it, it isn't, I mean, he says signing solves the, solves the issue, but he also says, you know, you still need to, Prove humanity. He suggests uh, uh, zero knowledge proof for that, which is another kind of uh, sibling idea of um, of of uh, public key cri- uh, cryptography um, and attestation. But they also have a protocol that they're working on, or he's working on, and it appears to be an IPFS thing, a noosphere, a protocol for thought. And I, I wonder if you guys looked at that. Um, also, oh, yeah, I did at, at um, and that's it's at GitHub and it's a happening thing, um, but also at um, at biometrics. I mean, at IW last week, uh, there one of the cases being made there by some people was well, you still have to have biometrics at the beginning of it. That's what makes us human, whether it's your iris or your fingerprint or your voice print or your gait or some other some other way that you can say that you're human. Um, that has to be in there somewhere. And then one of the patches for that is that you have a trusted agent and everything you do on the net is carried on through an agent because you do lots of things on the internet and you can't do them all. You can't manage them all yourself. You actually have to have an agent of some kind. That's actually, uh, Adrian Gropper's case. Adrian's been on the, on the show before, I think. Um, so I don't know if you looked at those other things as sort of context around which the signing might take place. Yeah, to me, to me, my understanding, like when I read that, I didn't look into that particular like API, that particular like Noosphere, mm-hmm. um, the details of it. Uh, but reading through the the post, it, to me, it sounded a lot like a lot of the proposals being made for Web three in mm-hmm. general, which is the solution. Like I said, is to is that if if all content goes through this new mechanism, um, and then therefore. I, all content on the internet now has to be signed and it has to be signed with a key that links to some sort of account, then you can establish, you can most certainly establish provenance of a particular post because you can say this showed up first on this blockchain at this date signed by this person, therefore it's theirs. So at least as long as, long as you're within that ecosystem, then you can solve the issue of someone saying that you said something you didn't say. Uh, it certainly solves that sort of thing. If that's the problem you're trying to solve, then yes, this solves that. However, it means that you now need to 
move everyone to this environment, you know? So you have to move everyone to the single, you know, whether you want to say it's decentralized or not, um, everyone still has to use this new internet as it were uh, to, to achieve that. If you want to, at least if the goal is to have everything be, everything be signed and be provable that you said it versus you didn't say it. And I also wonder, and then this is mentioned in the article too, the idea of scaling. So when I, when I read these things, I, I think, oh, well, you know, this approach sounds actually quite interesting for certain applications, right? In a certain context, mm -hmm. like, but in particular, small scale, like you say, if, you know, if everybody's part of the same ecosystem, but, but in just really practical end user terms, I think, well, okay, yes, I would love, I, I like the idea of, for, for certain types of content, being able to um, assign it to a, 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 a point in my web of trust. I, I trust this network, this network of 200 identifiable entities, whether they are human or not. Um, and, and uh, but I wonder how it scales beyond that to be, even to be useful, not, not even, not even as in terms of solving an authenticity problem. I just, I, I, I don't, yeah, anyway, I, the scaling is the question that, that, that I wonder the most about. Like, how does this kind of idea scale to the web? You know, everybody wants, not everybody, but a lot of the proposals, this is one of them, in, indirectly and probably without meaning to, although Web3 implies it, um, want to create another internet. We're going to do the internet where you can trust everything. Or we're going to do the internet that re that requires a platform. There's another one I'm looking at. Actually, I've been asked to remark on it. I would tell you about it because it was, it's confidential. But basically, it it basically poses that there needs to be a a a grand central intermediator for everything, um, and that's a whole new thing. But it's the only way we'll trust it is we have this grand central thing in the middle, um, and. I, I, and I, I sort of feel like the internet is too much sort of like, it's gravity, it's there, we're not going to be able to change it. It's, you could do all kinds of things on top of it, we're not going to replace it. And that's whenever, whenever anybody says, that breaks the internet, I don't think anything breaks the internet. I, I think the internet itself is just going to always be there. Um, but, and we're going to have to create some new norms that will sort of catch on, whatever they are. Yeah. And we don't know what they are yet. We're just going to stumble through. Somebody's going to make something. Maybe it's this guy. Maybe it's the Noah Sphere protocol. Um, they're building it on IPFS, I think. IPFS mm -hmm. has been around for a fair amount of time right now. It's got some venture money behind it. Um, uh, will that, and some things are being built with it. It's cool. Um, but does it solve everything? I don't think anything solves everything. The web didn't solve everything. No, you know, we, we can have steps down the way, though. And, and then if we hit a dead end, we then we know that, you know, we need to transition yeah. to the next path. But I also, so this is kind of funny, but, and I don't know if I really want to admit this, but my first initial reaction to this, my sort of gut superficial reaction to reading this was, but I think if, if every piece of content on the internet were signed, I would never post again. <laughs> that was my first yeah, reaction I, if something could be permanently linked to my identity i don't think i'd ever post i, I don't know it's uh, i don't know what that means but uh, that was my that was where my mind went first and then i thought through it it means you use the internet you know 
back in the olden yes, days the, before the, the everything was every well already everything was already tracked and you know before everything was tracked and everything you did was monitored and, and stored in a in a big database somewhere right i mean that's that's what that's saying is you're also someone that's probably paid for things with cash <laughs> i know how in the weird past, you <laughs> yes. know i mean that's and that's the other thing is like for with something like this let's Again, you migrate everyone over to that. Then all the content on there is, is you can say this person said this and they said it first, all right. And someone is claiming they said something else, but they didn't because you can look at this and, and prove that they didn't. Well, you can prove that they didn't on that platform. Right. Just like if you have all of my credit card transactions, you can prove whether or not I use my credit card to pay for something, but you can't prove that I that I didn't pay for it with cash. You know. Um, yeah. So you can't prove that I said something off the platform. And that's that's the challenge with something like this. But then the solution most people, most like Web3 uh, proponents and other people would say is, yes, but that's the thing, is everyone must use my... I mean, that's... And honestly, almost every security solution I've heard most people propose is whether they say something's decentralized or not, it ends up coming down to, this works as long as I can get 100% of everyone to use my thing. Right. <laughs> well, that's, and, that's, that is a key point that... It works if everybody uses it, and that's the boiled. Yeah, and a lot of things work if everybody yeah, uses it. That's the boiled it, ocean yeah. thing. And I mean, I, I knowing some of the people involved in creating the internet. I mean, I don't think anybody planned for it to be exactly what it ended up being. You know, it it, it became an end-to-end -end system because some people had idea that end-to-end -end was good, but it was did TCP/IP do it? It was the only thing that would have done it. No, it was the best thing that did it. It was the thing that caught on. You know, and mm -hmm. and it was essentially free. Um, uh, you know, Ethernet succeeded because uh, Xerox Digital and um, uh, Intel was it Intel? Um, yeah, I think it was Intel. Did decided together we're just not going to exercise the patent on this. Everybody could go ahead and use it. IBM wanted Token Ring to get paid get get paid for Token Ring. Token Ring lost. Um, Internet uh, Ethernet won. Uh, it's just so. It's such a you know, at, at a sort of very base level, there's some really simple things that really work. And above that, it's all kind of improvised. And um, and so much gets ignored. I mean, this, this could sound way off topic, but it may or may not be in a sort of interplanetary way. I'm on a list which is very active about Starlink and brilliant people that know so much about networking and, and latency and everything else. We've had Dave, Dave Tatt, uh, we've had on a couple of times. Um, maybe more than that, um, has talked about it. And it's his list, as a matter of fact. And and I think about, okay, there could be hundreds of thousands of lower orbit satellites in the sky. The sky will be different. <laughs> that is, yeah. that's a, that's a secondary, you know, that that's a second, a second order effect that is enormous. You know, I mean, it affects astronomy. It affects a lot of other things. I mean, it's, but with impunity, we're putting these things up there. What does that do? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of drifting off from one topic to another here, but I, I'm sort of speaking toward your, your point that, you know, if this, if we do this one thing, then it'll solve everything else. And, and, and it, and if everybody uses it, those two things, it's going to solve everything and mm -hmm. everybody has to use it. And I don't think the world works that way. And I, and I, we all, you know, it's important to look at what the consequences are going to be, you know, that have nothing to do with what, 
you know, what are the second order effects of this? I don't know. You know, I've just, I just think we need to think about them. I will say this. I'm, I am intrigued by some of the underlying ideas that we mentioned. We throw out no sphere and, and some other things. I, I feel like we need to have follow-up episodes just, just devoted to those where we bring in some experts, but. Well, I would say we should it, bring this guy on the show. You know, maybe we haven't asked him. We just, sh- you know, we shared a link and we're talking about it, but we haven't had him yeah. on the show, which would be. Yeah. Be uh, helpful. But, yeah. It, it's, it, I, I guess where I'm going with this is that the sum of its parts, <laughs> the sum of the parts involved in uh, the thinking around solving these problems to me are weirdly more interesting than the way they've been presented as a solution. But yeah. uh, so, so maybe, you know, maybe there are different ways to put these pieces together, I guess. But um, anyway, it, yeah, I, I just, I think, we're all collect I, like the entire world, the tech world, us personally, everybody is going to be talking about how to solve these quote unquote AI problems. Like, a lot, you know, on one hand, AI is doing a lot of very interesting, positive things. But on the other hand, obviously we're um, generated content and generated images, generated voices, generated, all of that is, is, is something to address. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think there's, there's going to be a ton just thrown at the wall, you know, a lot of interesting ideas, mm-hmm to solve this problem, but it's really hard to sift through and really sort out because these ideas are, are they're so huge. These problems are so huge. They're, they're, they're intimidating to me to even think about. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but where I, I wanted to mention that Doc and I, a while back on Floss Weekly, ta- did an interview um, about, is it called C2PA? It's an authentication, a provenance and authenticity initiative i think it's backed by adobe and some others um about authenticating photos particularly when when you talk about media photos right and i think that in and of itself like i find these pockets of a very you know of of brilliance i think oh yes absolutely that fits there perfectly because you can trace the provenance of a photo back to and if you could ever be very certain about it anyway uh you know that so, so that you can prove that a photo was taken by a photographer at a specific location um, and was not manipulated in, in the process, especially if you're, you're covering very important things like, oh, I don't know, wars or something like mm. that, where you, you, know, you don't want images to be manipulated for, for uh, effect. And I think so. So there are these these, and I'll link to that too. I highly recommend going and checking that out. It's an, it was an, it was a great conversation and an interesting mm. Potential solution. I wish I but, remembered um, it. <laughs> this <laughs> yeah, is... that was great. <laughs> it really take, was. I promise. I'll take your word for it. This is yeah. But yeah not yeah. remembering it exactly is, is such a human thing too. I mean, yeah. Well, there you go. And but that's the thing is the internet, especially this proposed internet, wouldn't forget. Yeah. Um, and there's pros and cons um, to an internet that never forgets. We already have mostly we have in many cases an internet that from from a certain point doesn't forget. Uh, too much. Um, and there's all kinds of implications that now people that like people who were in their teens uh, during the era when the internet stopped forgetting, um, who are now adults and in, in, in the workforce have started to feel the effects mm-hmm. of, for instance, you know, all the things that you did in your mm-hmm. teens. Thank God um, we didn't have pro. pro yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Facebook when um, I was a kid. Is, <laughs> Or anything else. And so there's there's uh, there are advantages to having an inter- internet that doesn't forget and can tell you for sure who was the first person on this particular platform to ever say this thing. That's great. 
but it also means that you can never say later on, yeah, but I didn't like that I said that, or I changed my mind. That's the other thing. I mean, this is actually something that in, in Snowden's per- permanent record, I think the strongest point that he made in that book was about the the risk of the internet like as your permanent record, the, the fact that you can no longer be forgotten on the yeah. internet and what that does what what that does for someone who wants to change their mind. That's yeah. exactly you know? where my mind goes. I want mm-hmm. the right to yeah, be forgotten. Yeah, because, well, yeah, the, the right be, to be forgotten and the right to be wrong. No, yeah, That's the absolutely. other thing yeah. is, is, I'm yeah. wrong a lot. is, you know, like there, I'm, I'm wrong a lot too. And my, my views on all kinds of things have changed from when I was a teenager, for sure. I mean, even over the past decade, I'm sure that plenty of things have changed. However, if you have a permanent record of that sort of thing, then there's, you could, then, you can, I mean, you already see this, for example, on Twitter, someone will post a thing that then contradicts something that they said three years before. And then you find that tweet and you post it back to back. Like, see, you said this, but in the past you said yes, this. Imagine a world um, for example, like, that was indelible. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. And th- when the whole world's that way, what it does is it causes people to then have to be entrenched into certain positions because they know that their past positions on either that or lie about their positions on things or the thoughts um, or just be incredibly carefully couched because you know that whatever you say on the internet will never be forgotten and will be attested to you forever. And you can't even say, well, that wasn't even me. You know, it's like, no, it was you because it was signed with this digital key that only you have that you've had from the moment you were allowed to be on the internet. It was your, it was your internet driver's license, no. you know? It, it, I mean, it, everything it, I've said today will probably, I'll probably change my mind about in a our, year. Yeah, so. this is our, well, it, the internet is also a whiteboard. I mean, uh, some things that the, the internet archive has gone out of its way to uh, take photos of that whiteboard as best they can, uh, as often as they can. But um, a lot, an awful lot of it is gone. The of of what I mean, especially the early internet, a lot of that stuff just disappeared, and the search engines don't necessarily keep a permanent record either. And by the way, permanent record is the name of is the title of, of Snowden's book. It's actually a good book. Um, uh, but I've noticed, like I put, maybe I mentioned this before, but I put some Easter eggs in early things I've written that allowed me in a word search to find, um, on Google, you know, uh, and, uh, and it doesn't find them anymore. It's the, it, it, it just doesn't index them or it doesn't index them in such a way that that, that will make it show up. And it used to do it that way. And I think that, page rank is either gone or so diminished as an important thing for Google that our view of the internet is mostly about what's going on now. It's all now. It's mm-hmm. all now. And because, I mean, before Technorati started in 2003, um, it was possible. I mean, if you changed, you had a blog or you had a blog post or published something on the internet, it would take on the web it would take Google like a month sometimes to find that, to have it indexed. And, but what Technorati forced is that, wait a minute, blogging is here. We need to index things constantly. And so Google basically caught up to now. If you publish something now, it's there, there it is. And I don't know how they do that, but it's pretty damn good that, with, that they follow what's going on now. But, but it's all snow on the water in a certain way that it, it kind of disappears uh, or it can disappear, you know, I mean, we, we, we at, at Linux Journal, we had a, um, uh, a, I had a, a, a Linux Journal blog called IT Garage that ran for a while. And um, it was 
I guess it was a WordPress thing. I'm not sure what it was, but it was Drupal. <laughs> it was Drupal. There you go. Yeah. Well, it it was saved by um, the Internet Archive. Uh, Linux Journal no longer had it, but the Internet Archive has it. And some and in September of tw- 2004, I noted that um, a search for podcasts brought up 24 results on Google. So that's it. That's still a historic marker that podcasting was so new then. And now of course it's like a billion results or something like that. Uh, but, but that is, that's a kind of a permanent record. That's good, but that's, that's really not around um, Snowden's point. But I mean, mostly he was invade against surveillance in, in all forms. Uh, I, I think it's going to take an awful long time for us to sort all this stuff out. You know, it's just, it's, I mean, like I said, IAW was last week. We're never going to solve the identity issue. <laughs> We're just not. We've had 36 of these things so far. We have complete confidence that that workshop is going to continue for years to come. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, we're going to, we're not hosting other ones, but we're sort of countenancing other ones that are inspired by, um, uh, by the, by the internet identity workshop, because it's popular. We need more of them. We need them all over the world. And, and, and the problems are different in different places. You know, what, what they're doing in India is so different. Uh, you know, we had on Floss Weekly Beckon, the guys who do Beckon. India is now the biggest country in the world. It's larger than all of North and South America in terms of population. And, and they're doing some new things with, uh, with e-commerce and with identity, lots of other things that are, don't get a whole lot of attention, but um, matter, you know, and that's going to matter more over time than what we do here. All you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of all over the map on this, but I was because IWS is Silicon Valley. When I went to Silicon Valley in 1985, you had to be there if you were doing tech. That was the only place you could be. That was that was it. Yeah. It was it was downtown tech. It's not anymore. It doesn't feel like a ghost town, but it feels like you don't need to be here. It's okay. You know, nice place to be, but. You don't have to be here. You could be anywhere. Well, a lot of that Very, is just in the last three years. <laughs> it, it is. It's the is last it three? three years. Wait, how many it? years has it been? I don't even know anymore. Know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You can, you can. You definitely don't have to be anywhere. You you can be here like we are right now, wherever here is. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what that means. Firesign um, Theater is a very funny group that had a, a lot of records back in the turn of the 70s. I had a song that went, how can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all? <laughs> so <laughs> that sort of <laughs> strikes me as somewhat relevant. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, so I, I, as I'm, you know, as I'm listening to us have this conversation, I'm kind of trying to reflect, you know, as, as we do these things, just, you know, how the sausage is made as we have these conversations i think i'm kind of editing in my head right at all times and i think yeah oh, okay when i go back i'm gonna remember i'm gonna remember this spot so i can include the link and, and then i do these things and then i'm like okay well what is this gonna be called and then i'm just wondering I'm like is this an going back to the original theme like is this an ai conversation is this a security conversation is this a, i mean it can it can be all of those things but I, I i'm just i was having that thought out loud and i thought i would share because you know it's kind of I don't know. I don't know where my where my brain is going with this, but it's it's well, interesting it's, because it, it it's it 
it's a real versus fake thing, and it's it's also sort of like is it is it food or is it shit? You know, <laughs> there's yeah, there's that. I mean, the you know, the, the, it it an interesting thing to me is that the large language models have all been trained on the internet. You know, and and it's the internet is full of crap. It's so much crap yeah. out there. But don't we kind of like it that way? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> My original like, thesis this is like, what human conversation when do we is need like. Ephemeral. You know, I mean, there's Something, uh, you know, yeah, you, well, well, there's that level of it, but then there's also a lot of the garbage that's on the internet right now is human generated garbage. Not in terms yeah. of like someone's <laughs> someone's subreddit somewhere where they're saying stupid things, but but more like everyone gaming page rank. Yeah. Yeah. And so everyone has to create quote unquote, you know, like valuable content to then get good page rank to then sell a thing, you know. And so then you have you had human beings, which they will they would be the first to be replaced by all of these models, and they already are. But creating legitimate looking content that really says nothing, but is good enough to get page ranked, you know, the, to get ranked and get put into a search query for a topic. Um, so, so much of the internet now, I mean, right. if you, if, if the reason you go to do a Google search and you're not pleased with the results, you're like, wow, this is all a bunch of garbage. It doesn't actually help me. It's because it's yeah, been gamed it, by exactly. all these people so how, how, yeah. and in the future, we'll, yeah. And in the future will be gamed by the, the AI instead. But the fun thing is then that AI, which has to feed off the internet will be feeding off of itself. And, you know, it's like the garbage that it generated, it will now be using to then, feed future garbage right. so you yeah. know and so what what's that going to so you know what's that going to be we've, like we've, we've set the bar so low at this point that we've produced so much existing garbage that it's so easy to duplicate because it, again we've set the bars there's no barrier to entry there hasn't been for a long time so it the the, cur the human crap is indistinguishable from the machine generated crap well, I, I guess it's it's more that can you create a tool that is higher precision than the tool that was used to create it um and how do you do that? I guess, you know, like if can't, and so if you have a model that's being fed off of garbage and then ultimately it's feeding off of the garbage that it made, can it ever get better? Can it ever make things that aren't garbage? If all it has, if garbage, if the only thing coming in is garbage, garbage, in, garbage out. the only thing coming out is garbage, right? And if the percentage of the internet that it will feed on tomorrow is, 1% more garbage and 1% less good stuff because it's creating the thing yep. that it's feeding on, you know, then will the output be less garbage or more garbage? Probably more garbage. So, yeah, so the Washington Post, the, had a, value the, the Washington Post had a, had a piece. I'm going to go to the top of it here inside the secret list of websites that make AI like ah, chat yes. GPT sound smart. And I'm going to go I down did here. Okay. That. I'm glad you so, brought that up. The number one domain that they went to is patents.google.com. Number two huh. was Wikipedia, then ScribD, which is a lot of papers, New York Times, um, journals.plos.com, LA Times, Guardian, Forbes, HuffPost, patents.com, Washington Post, it goes on. So I looked, I looked up a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm going to try and find my the link to that, wherever it is. Um, which... While you're looking for that, also brings up a whole other question about, oh. you know, if you list off a bunch of those found, news yeah. outlets to, depending on who you ask, some are going to say, well, those are all left-leaning, or those are all right-leaning. Right, yeah. Well, or, so, that, so that opens up a yeah, whole exactly. other discussion. So, so Linux Journal um, is number 5,227, which is actually pretty good. 
Um, Harvard.edu, where I maintain three blogs, and you would think have a lot, is numbered 395,848. That's um, disappointing. Yeah, Medium is number 46. Um, Twit.tv is number 27,000. Um, I looked up a bunch more, but it's... It's it's kind of weirdly random and a lot of what and why uh, behind it and and it you know probably you know it's just what what they crawled and how they crawled it and who knows you know and they're, they're trying to get as much language as they can into this thing so it has better predictive better more to predict on based on what's already been said I don't know how you get to that to writing code because that's part of it too right I mean. These, these things do know how to write some code. Um, in fact, there are two interesting cases, which if Joyce was on this call, uh, she would bring up. One was um, one business person we know, very active in the identity world, has a startup, um, wrote some of his own code, farmed a lot of it out to other employees, is now using ChatGPT to replace people, you know, including mm-hmm. himself. I'm not writing this. I'm, I'm editing this code. I'm, I'm going to get ChatGPT to write some stuff and I'm just going to edit it. That was one case. Another one is a person who planned a trip to Japan where ChatGPT told him everything to do for a week in Japan and helped him book things, told him where to book it, went to the hotels, went to the different sites, went to the bars that recommended whatever else it was, found it was fabulous. Didn't, wouldn't have corrected any of it. Thought it was wonderful. So, you know, but then I've done a whole bunch of searches of things where I actually know what the, some source material and the rest of it. And oh my God, can it be wrong? I mean, just vastly wrong. Um, uh, you know, and I've asked it about myself, you know, I, turns out I went to the university of Washington, which I didn't, um, you know, but a bunch of, bunch of weird stuff, you know, that, and I don't even know where that comes from. Is it that Linux journal was in Washington state? Was it, what was that? And then you search again and it's not there. It's somewhere, it, it, some other mistakes. Uh, it depends on the order in which you you yeah. search these things too, because it takes the input that you're giving it in any given session and, I, and it affects the output. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's it's like, I I don't remember, I don't remember now how long ago it was that I, I was chatting with some sort of Google engineer um, and they were talking about how they have, you know, different algorithms and, and, quote unquote AI sort of uh, that were governing uh, load balancing mm. across the many, many data centers that Google has, right? And they have all, it's almost like self-run, it's self-sustaining in a way to where it makes decisions on traffic needs to move from this data center to this data center based on load and based yeah. on Shor- downtime, all, all that stuff, right? Stuff it's all like that, yeah. Yeah, like all that stuff, it, it makes these decisions and the interesting thing was he was saying, yeah, we have human beings that look at the traffic flows. And in many cases, we don't know why the machine made the decision it made to move the traffic from data center A to data center B. We just see the results, but we don't, because we have told it, we have trained it up to a certain point and then made it self-sustaining, sort of self-training after a particular point. We don't know why it's, it's not telling you why it's doing it necessarily. It's just doing it. And you on the outside just see it's sort of like this black box that's, that's pulling strings. Yeah. You know, an interesting thing too, is that, um, I think it was the first time I visited Google when they had first gone to an office building, they were no longer in like a space above a bike shop and, and, uh, 
downtown Palo Alto. And um, I remember like Sergi coming up on his bike, you know, and it was it was very small, small board, but they already hit. They were already like Google was becoming the search engine all of a sudden. And they in the lobby, they had a TV, like an old fashioned TV that's a vacuum tube that you look at and like a Sony Trinitron. And they had a switch on the back of it. And and this guy said, um, you want to see what people are looking at? It's because they, they, they had all these all the searches that were going by, just search after search after search. And he said, I'm going to throw a switch back here and you'll see what we censor out. And at least half of it was porn. At least half of it was <laughs> was, was, was was that kind of stuff. So there's that. That is a huge part of what goes on out there, you know, and nobody talks about it. But it's, it's part of this picture, you know, the people's, the, the artesian well you can drive into the id of the world is just, um, it can be extraordinarily productive. And it's like, what do you do with that? I don't know. I mean, I just bringing that up because that's part of the noise we don't talk about, right? Um, but it's there. And how can you idealize that? Yeah, it would. Well, and it's it's sort of like, you know, people who have children and are raising children in the age of the internet, they're, um, in many cases, at least, I'll say, you know, everyone parents differently, but in many cases, parents will, will restrict what parts of the internet, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if they, one, whether children have access to the internet at all, and two, if they have access to the internet, what parts of the internet they have access to them. Why is that? Because what is, you know, because this is, this is an intelligence Mm -hmm. that is learning and you, and they're being careful and thoughtful about the inputs into that model. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Because they know that that will be absorbed and then incorporated and then et cetera. Right. And so I know that in many cases, these models are being trained on you know, there's some there's some thought given, I suppose, to what it's being trained on, but in some cases, possibly not. It's more it could, because so so many people that are in these fields think you know more data is better better mm-hmm. you know regardless. And so, if you think of it, if you think of these models like, or it, maybe not even these models, but just like AI in general, like training a child, like if you're actually trying to get an intelligence, then what are you you know? Where's the child getting its information? I mean, this is if you're just pointing it at the internet and saying learn yeah, from yeah, the internet. Yeah. I mean, that's why you have cases like, like Tay, uh, Microsoft's Tay that ends up turns out it can be very racist and anti-Semitic when you start asking it questions. Why? Because its input was the the whole internet. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. So, Catherine, we at are, are yeah, we at I a, um, a point I yet? Th- yeah, I guess we we should wrap it up, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, how do I wrap it up? I think... We wrap it up by saying, well, it turns out the internet's still broken. Yeah, I was... <laughs> um, and... yeah. What was it? We, I, oh, I said earlier, Human, we, we, we've established, we have power. set a low bar. The internet is already, already <laughs> full of garbage. Yeah. Um, what's a little more? No, that's, that's not necessarily the takeaway here, but uh, yeah, anyway. Um, it's an evolving story, and we will stay on top of it. Um, I think... Yeah, it's we're not going to solve these problems today, and and but but I enjoy reading. We get a we get a fun talking the about work them. Of other people, yes, exactly. The we conversation, as they say, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, and, and, and until next time when we when we uh, throw out, we'll the have next them solved before solution. the next one. So yeah, we'll, we're going to we'll solve it. We we'll get back. Report on that. Homework we'll assignment. That. <laughs> and if anybody else solves it for us, that would be yeah, great. Yeah, just let us save know. us the save us the work, solve it, send us the solution, and we'll have you on. Yeah.